Well, good morning, everyone. It's certainly good to be here. On behalf of Carolyn and myself, it's a real joy. Now, I would have one or two questions before we look into God's Word. How many of you might have been here 45 years ago today? You just might have been here. I want you to look around and see the faithful people, okay? (laughs) If you weren't born, we'll give you an excuse. Otherwise, no. Otherwise, no. But what a joy. I've thought of this. uh, In some senses, ministers make their lives, their livings, by speaking. And it's been just about one or two times in my own life, I really don't know what I was going to say. One was when our daughter Debbie got married a number of years ago. It was quite a trip down the altar, and I was supposed to say something. I wasn't sure what I was going to say. But I will say this. If you look at your bulletin again, right at the front, you see the choruses and the songs we sang, those first grouping, and I really appreciate who chose them. But this was the goal, the purpose, all centered here in Christ in Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. There is no other foundation. And he is faithful. He keeps his word. And it's by faith we walk by him or walk with him. And then if you drop down to just the last uh, hymn that we sang, Be Thou My Vision. Last week, Carolyn and I were making our way actually back from Knoxville, Tennessee, and we stopped off in Virginia, met a family, and I was preaching at their church, and they actually sang this song, Be Thou My Vision. But that's what I'd really like to talk about tonight, or this morning. We can talk about the past. There's a lot for which I'm extremely grateful, extremely grateful. People, opportunities to serve the Lord. But we could just reminisce and miss the great message I really believe God has for us today. We can remember the past with gratitude, but we are living when? Today. And today is the opportunity that we have to serve the Lord. Now, Joel did mention some other things, Pastor Divinity. And one thing that I do miss Uh, Here, as I look around the church, I miss the pulpit that was here. I liked it because you could grip it, for one thing. But that's somewhat uh, secondary. There was a little plaque in it. And the pulpit actually came when this church was purchased. And in the pulpit, there was this little plaque that had these words. Sirs. We would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. And that, I trust, is what we're going to, by his grace, see today. To see Jesus. Be thankful for the past, with gratitude, for the opportunities of the present. But it's all centered in the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Now, Pastor Divinity also said that uh, I preached out of the King James Bible. 
and that is true, and I have a copy of it here today. And I have that because it was the last gift that my father gave to me before he passed away, and I've used it a number of years. And I thought, um, I, and he was here. My mother and my father were here that day on May the 12th of 1974. And I liked, I asked my father about the service after, and he said, well, I like the pews. I, I don't know why he said that, but he did. He did. But I'm thankful for my mother and my father, both of whom are in glory. But I would like you to take the word of God, if you would, please. And let's look at the passage of scripture that's found there in your bulletin. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I'll take one of those verses out. Uh, chapter 3 of Second Corinthians Verses 1 to 3. Do we again begin to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word to our hearts this morning. But in order for us to address this passage of Scripture, I believe that we need to look a little bit at the background of why he is writing this, and then we're going to see the description that Paul gives of being a Christian or those people, and then the responsibility that we have. So just a brief outline here uh, so that we can follow along uh, in the scriptures. Well, the book of 2 Corinthians was a book written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote two letters to Corinth, the first and the second epistle. And when he wrote this epistle, it was a very difficult time for Paul. He was being accused of not being a true apostle of Jesus Christ. And when Paul writes this letter, it's important that you understand that he is defending his ministry and not his person. The tendency is, if someone says something that we would not like concerning ourselves, that we would seek to defend ourselves. However, Paul is not interested in defending himself, but he is very interested in defending the ministry, the ministry that he has. Now, one of the things that they would do during those days, to give you a background, if a person went from one church to another and they were unknown, they would give them certain letters. They were called letters of recommendation, commendation. And that would tell you something about that person. You would say this person is to be received. It may have been for an individual church member. For example, Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, will commend Phoebe, the, probably the person who actually brought the copy of the letter of, of the book of Romans to the church at Rome. So he commends people. That was a 
uh, regular practice. And unfortunately, because there were some persons that were not to be trusted, not reliable, these epistles were uh, necessary to be accepted by other churches. So that's what he has in mind when he talks about epistles of commendation or recommendation. These are given from one church to another. We might even do this in church membership. Uh, you can transfer church membership by what you call letter. They will The issuing church will give that letter. You move out of the area, go to a new church, and you can join that on the basis of a letter. So it's a form of recommendation. But I would not so much be interested this morning in talking about Paul's uh, authority or Paul's uh, quality to be a minister as the nature, the nature of the Christians themselves. And I'll explain that in just a minute. But keep in mind these letters of commendation. And the second thing that we need to keep in mind is there's a background that really comes from the Old Testament because Paul is going to make allusion to certain things that have been written. For example, in chapter uh, 3 of 2 Corinthians, verse 3, you'll notice that he talks about they are epistles of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone. You notice those words? But in fleshly tables of the heart. Now the allusion there is to the time at Mount Sinai when Moses went up to the mountain, God wrote on tables of stone, and Moses brought them back. So keep that in mind as we work our way through this epistle or these uh, several verses here. Now, if that's the background, letters of commendation, and Paul has been accused of not being a legitimate pastor or apostle, uh, uh, to talk about them and then uh, the other of tables or tablets of stone or in flesh. Now, the thing that I would like to share with you this morning, as we look back on 45 years, but really looking forward and today, what is it that I could say to us that would encourage and help us to live in a way that honors and pleases God. I don't need to tell you that we are living in difficult days. We could spend uh, quite a bit of time bemoaning what is happening in our country, what is happening in the world, what is taking place, and we would have reason so to do. However, the real question is, what are we going to do about it? What are the things that are going, that I can do, in order to see a true change take place. What am I going to do about it? Some people feel what we should do is retreat. Let's step away. Let's make ourselves safe, as it were. Unfortunately, I don't believe that's going to happen because all you have to do is have some sort of uh, me, uh, social media or television, and the world's going to invade your house. You know that. So what are we going to do? 
Uh, others feel that perhaps the more we become like the world, we'll have an opportunity to uh, witness or say something. But when we do that, there's a real danger uh, that we lose our testimony. So what are we going to do? Well, here Paul, I believe, gives us a description of ourselves. A description of ourselves. Every one of us who truly knows Christ as Lord and Savior, this is true of us. Now, the background, the context, is dealing with letters. Letters. It used to be years ago that people would write letters. We don't write letters anymore. What do we do today? We text. We email. uh, We uh, Instagram. Whatever we do. But years ago there was the practice of writing letters. And perhaps you've heard of a man by the name of Samuel Rutherford. He was back in the 17th century. He was actually a Scotchman. And he wrote letters. And they have been published. They're still in print today. Letters written uh, over 300 years ago. There was a man named John Newton. You've heard of Newton. Newton wrote those songs, Amazing Grace, Glorious things of thee are spoken. He was the slave trader who marvelously, marvelously was converted to Christ. And God really used his life as a pastor, as a clergyman in the Church of England. Well, John Newton was known for his letters. So he would write them. And he would, um, he would uh, write to his friends encouragement and things. And I believe this is what we have to first understand about ourselves. We are letters. We, our lives are going to be used to communicate a message. Now, if you look at verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells us about this. Notice what he says in verse 3. For as much... As you are manifestly. Now that word simply means it's clear. There's no doubt about it. The evidence has been weighed up. You are something. You you are manifestly. It's clear. There's no doubt about it. You are declared to be what? The epistle of Christ. Now imagine that. What does he mean? What does it mean that today I'm an epistle of Christ? Well, it means that something has taken place in my life. What am I by nature? By nature, I am a sinner apart from God, separated from him. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about those who are in the world... They are without God, literally speaking. They're atheists, atheists, without God and without hope in the world. That describes the world in which you and I live. And yet some of these people may appear to be very successful. They may have the finest of jobs. They may have the most pleasant of circumstances. But at the very core of their being... They're without God and without hope in the world. 
But by the grace of God, something has occurred in our lives. And I trust I'm speaking to those who truly know Christ as Lord and Savior. Something has happened. I have been declared to be the epistle of Christ. What has happened in my life? Well, Paul tells us here. He says, you have been ministered to by us. Paul is saying, I had a wonderful privilege. I had the privilege of announcing to you the gospel. And it is the gospel that has made all the difference in your life. What you were by nature is not true of you today. You are an epistle of Christ. Now notice what he says here. Written not with ink. Written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God. What has taken place in my life? What has occurred? Well, what has occurred is when I was dead in my trespasses and my sins, when I was without God, without hope in the world, God intervened in my life. God changed me in the power or by the power of the spirit of god and notice what he's called there he is the spirit of the what living god we have a living god who has made this change now technically if you like uh, theology and i hope you all like theology but we would call this theological change regeneration are you born again. Do you remember what the Lord himself said to Nicodemus when Nicodemus, now that's interesting, my notes have gone away. (laughs) That has happened before, so don't worry about it. Uh, When the Lord was speaking to Nicodemus and Nicodemus came to him and complimented him, Rabbi, we know you're a man sent from God because no one can do these things except God be with him. What a compliment. How did the Lord respond? You must be born again. You must be born again. That is what we call an imperative. Has this great change caused by the spirit of the living God, has that taken place in your life? Are you indeed this morning born again? We could put it in more simple terms. Are you indeed a Christian by possession as well as a Christian by profession? And Paul says, if you are to be an epistle of Christ, and you manifestly are, then you will show the evidence of new life. Now notice what else he says there. He said, not written within, but by the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Now here we have to understand the background of what Paul is writing against. When he is writing about tables of stone, he is making reference to that time that I mentioned before, when Moses went up to the mount there 40 days and God gave him the law on two tables of, uh, of stone, the Ten Commandments. God wrote those. 
And he wrote those with his finger. And he wrote them on tables of stone. And you know, it was not long before the children of Israel violated those and Moses threw them down and they were broken. But that speaks of the old covenant, the old covenant that God made with the children of Israel at Sinai. But I want you to notice the next words, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Of what is Paul speaking here? He is not speaking of the old covenant. He's speaking of a wonderful promise that God gave all the way back in the times of a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Do you remember Jeremiah? He was the prophet of God, ministered from about 626 B.C. to about 586 B.C. in some of the darkest, if not the darkest days of the nation of Judah. It was the time when the kings of Judah were wicked. It was the time when Nebuchadnezzar came three times and the final time destroyed the city of Jerusalem and took the people that remained into captivity. But in the midst of that time, those 40 years that God had given Jeremiah to minister to his people, he gave them a wonderful promise. It's found in the 31st chapter of the book of Jeremiah, the 33rd verse, where he speaks of a new covenant, a new covenant, not like the old covenant. And you'll find this all throughout Scripture. In fact, Paul will speak of it in chapter 4, and the book of Hebrews will speak of it, the new covenant. Well, what is the new covenant? The new covenant is God's laws written not on tablets of stone, but God's laws written in our very hearts. What an amazing thing that through God's grace and his mercy, that which he desires of us is written not on tablets of stone where we can look at them, observe them, and seek to keep them, but actually through his power, through the spirit of the living God, they are written on our hearts. I remember reading years ago, years ago, a statement that I've never forgotten, and it was simply this, that the Christian, at the very depth of his being, wants to obey God. Well, why would he want to do that? He wants to do that because he's been changed. He is a new creature in Christ. He is born again. This is the evidence of those who truly know the Lord. And so the Apostle Paul here is saying, this is what has happened to you. You are an epistle of Christ. It's manifest. The living God has entered into your life, has regenerated you, given you new life. But more than that, he's given you at the very depth of your being an insatiable desire to serve him. That's a Christian. That's not for a super class of Christians. That's not for the serious Christian. That's for all Christians. That's your birthright. It belongs to you. It is your heritage. You don't have to purchase it. It's given freely in Christ. And this is what Paul says. This is what you are. But then Paul goes on to say, there is something that you are to do. Or rather, 
there is something that's going to be true about you as people see you. And here we would look at verse 3. Now Paul again is saying, You are our epistle, written in our hearts. So he's saying, we've had the privilege of being ministers to you. It's through the grace of God that I was permitted to preach the gospel to you. And you are a part of our heart. And that is true of the Apostle Paul, when you, even when you consider the church of Corinth. If there were a place on earth that needed the gospel, it was Corinth. It was a proverbial place of wickedness. It was so wicked, I understand, that the Greeks actually invented a word to describe their behavior. If you could imagine the most vile, immoral type of behavior that's possible for your imagination to think, the Greeks expressed it by a verb that says, to live as a Corinthian, to Corinthianize. So this was a city that needed to hear the gospel. Would you say our world needs to hear the gospel? Would you say that our world is headed away from God? Would you say our world uh, needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, this is exactly what Paul is saying here. So you are our epistle written in our hearts, even these Corinthians that were breaking this heart. But the next words are the ones that I want you to see. Known and read of all men. Known and read of all men. That's true of a Christian. Christians are high visible people. I sometimes look at the computer and I uh, am actually um, uh, doing a course. Uh, I'm, I'm an instructor online, online class. Okay, some of you have taken courses. Maybe some of you have taught courses online. So every so often I turn on the computer, uh, computer and I go to the place where the information is. But before I get there, I always encounter some kind of ad or news or so forth. And the latest is, I believe it's Harry and Megan. Is that the ones? <laughs> Harry and Megan or so forth. Well, they've just had a child, right? Just had a child, baby. I think they got the names confused. I, I don't know. It's all confusing to me. But who are they? Who are they? Well, they are... Uh, the son and daughter-in-law, I believe, of Prince Charles and the uh, grandparents, or, or grandparents, Elizabeth I is the uh, uh, grandmother. And so they're always talking about royalty. They're always talking about what they do. Why? Because they're high, visible people. Christians are high, visible people. People. people see us. People read us. People know more about us than sometimes we like them to know, right? But that is what it is to be a Christian. So, how do people know us? 
The world's observing. The world is lost without Christ. We know that. The world does not think spiritual thoughts. But many of the world's people are very shrewd. And they see us. And they evaluate Christianity on the basis of what they see in us. They evaluate the truth on the basis of how we portray it. That's what it is to be a Christian. It's not something that it's for all of us. And so we're not only known, we're read. That's the purpose of a letter, is to read it, to receive the news that it has. And they read us. And they're making evaluations of how or what they think Christianity truly is by what they see in us. Now that is a tremendous honor and it's a tremendous privilege. Let's just say tomorrow I receive a notice from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington, D.C., okay? 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And it is at the invitation of the President of the United States that I have been appointed an ambassador. You name the country. An ambassador. Would that be a privilege? That would be an honor. That I have the, that someone has placed the trust in me and really the well-being of our country into my hands that I would represent the interest of the United States to a foreign country. What would that require? Faithfulness, integrity, honesty. Would it not? The Lord Jesus Christ has entrusted to you and to me to be ambassadors. We represent a kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so when we go to a place, if I would go as an ambassador, say to France, I first thing I would have to do would be to present my credentials. These are my credentials. They've been signed, however it worked through the State Department, however it's done. But then I would be received as, ambass as an ambassador because I would bear the credentials. And this is, to me, what it's going to take to see a change in our country. I have the privilege of teaching a lot of courses uh, on Bible history, things like that. But probably my favorite course deals with the Reformation. And the Reformation began probably with Luther and so forth. But as I trace it through in my classes, have the opportunity to teach, there's one thing that always stands out, that the true Reformation where it actually enters the country, grips it, and makes change, has two components. The first, it's always by the Word of God. It is always by the Word of God. There were all types of schemes and ideas of how to reform the church. Some said we'll do it from the top. Some said we'll do it other ways, education, so forth. 
But the true reformer said the real need is for people to have the word of God. The second thing is, it was the lives of people. The people's lives were changed. And when people are saturated, and I'm not, I'm using that word on purpose, people are saturated with the word of God. They affect changes. So what was the key? To give people the Bible in a language they could understand and let them live it out before others. And teach it, of course. Teach it. And show others what Christianity truly was. So as they read our lives, or the lives of the people, they saw what they needed and the answer was found in Christ. So what, on this 45th anniversary, as we reflect and think about it and look back on many wonderful times, sadly we have to look back on our failures and sins, but aren't you thankful they're under the blood of Christ? And that we can look forward to serving God as he gives us opportunity. May God bless you. May God encourage you. May God use you mightily from the youngest person here to the oldest person. Who knows what God could do with Grace Baptist Church or any church or all churches if those who profess his name would live according to what Paul said here. It is said that the head of a match. You remember a match? I don't know if they still make them anymore, okay? <laughs> a match. But it is said, the head of a match has within it the capacity, if all the power of the atoms that went together to make up that head were used, it would melt all the snow in Switzerland. What would happen if the power that is in this church, in your lives, through the grace of God, through the change that he's effected in you, would be used for his glory, in his honor, wherever you are, starting where you are, and who knows what God can do. Shall we not pray for such a day as that? Shall we not ask the Lord's blessing on us? Hasn't he as a church been good to us? And his faithfulness never changes. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for these years you've given us. But Lord, we look forward to the years ahead. Lord, I pray over this church, the leaders, especially the teachers. Lord, for them, that you will use them mightily. I pray for each person who's a member, attendee, may truly every person come to know you as Lord and Savior who's not, and to serve you with all your heart. Lord, you have been gracious and kind. May we be faithful, Lord, and we'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.